It's a bonus episode of Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. My name is Brian. Welcome. We do these sometimes when we have extra content, things that maybe don't fit real succinctly into an episode of their own, but things we want to discuss, items in the news, uh, letters from the mailbag, et cetera, et cetera. And I've got one of both that I want to touch on today. We'll start with the mailbag. You can send something to the mail if you want. It's we are the story guys at gmail.com. We love hearing from you guys. We love uh, getting prompts and ideas for show topics. It really is what is powering this engine in a lot of cases. So thank you for doing that. And sometimes it gets very specific and a little random. Uh, we got a letter recently from Jeff and Jeff wrote the show with the subject line, Obscure but Potentially Random Trivia. It's not potentially random. It is very random. Uh, hey, guys, I was listening to one of your shows and uh, was inspired to watch the first hour of MTV from 1981. Let me stop here and say, awesome. Jeff, this is the sort of behavior that we hope to promote, and it makes my heart very happy that this is actively what you're doing uh, when you listen to us. You're inspired to go down a YouTube wormhole because... That is what Murdoch and I do uh, after most of our conversations, and especially the ones we record for the show. So, um, great. I'm glad that's what's happening. One of the videos, Jeff goes on to write, that played in this first uh, period of MTV was by Robin Lane in the Charbusters. Let me also stop here and say, I was not familiar with Robin Lane and the Charbusters. I don't know. Do you, do you know anything about Robin Lane and the Charbusters? I had to do some research, and it's actually... Very interesting. Robin Lane is the daughter of Ken Lane, who was a songwriter and pianist for Dean Martin. So she had showbiz in her blood. She starts performing in folk rock clubs in California in the in like the sixties. She's born in the late forties, I guess. So yeah, she's just she's like you know late teens, early twenties, in the late sixties. In the late sixties, she marries a dude who is a guitar player named Andy Summers. Yes, that Andy Summers for two years when she's 21 to 23. She's married to Andy Summers. And she actually sang backing vocals for Neil Young during this time. Uh, she sings on the song Round and Round, if you look that up, from uh, Everybody Knows This Is Nowhere. And then she ends up moving to New England and she starts to get into punk rock. So, first of all, Andy Summers. People forget how old Andy Summers is was when the police hit it. Like, a lot of times I think we think, you know, because we look at pop stars now, and they're like early 20s a lot of times, right? When that band hit, they were all getting a little older, but Andy Summers is significantly older than Sting and Stewart. Um, if you remember, the first police record had a song called Born in the 50s. Andy Summers was born almost in the 30s. He was born in the very early 40s, 1942. Um but yeah, so it's so funny because they both end up in music, but this is not the period in which they either of them hit. Uh, Robin Lane, it's 10 years after this marriage that she forms this band called the Charbusters. And one of the guys she forms the band with was in Modern Lovers. Okay, so that's, that's how it connects. So Leroy Radcliffe from the Modern Lovers and Robin Lane start this band with a guy named Asa Brebner, and two other guys, Scott Barinwald and Tim Jackson. They get a record deal that then goes out of business. Um, and then Jerry Wexler ends up signing the band to Warner Brothers. So, I, I mean, if you don't know who Jerry Wexler is, music journalist who turns into a music producer and becomes a major player in the record industry in the 50s through the 80s. Okay, so 
very important figure and a big figure who had his hand in a lot of things. So getting getting plucked out of obscurity by Jerry Wexler is is quite the feat. So they put out this record in 1980, right around the rise of MTV, called Robin Lane and the Chartbusters. And there's a couple of songs that, that get some airplay. When Things Go Wrong and Why Do You Tell Lies. And When Things Go Wrong is, in fact, the 11th video shown on MTV's first broadcast day, August 1st, 1981. They do a couple more things for Warner Brothers, um, and then they don't really ever hit it. There's some tensions in the band. Robin Lade's, Robin Laid decides she wants to you know, have like a normal life, have a kid, that sort of thing. And so she just basically sort of ducks out of the limelight and just does some songwriting. She ends up self-producing some stuff of her own and then she writes for Susanna Hoffs and for some other people. So that's sort of the Robin Lane story. Now, let's talk about this video on MTV. Here is the question that that we get asked by Jeff. Jeff says... I'm a big fan of the show Hell on Wheels, which is a hard right turn. We go from obscure 80s band on MTV to AMC show from a few years back. Uh, and there's this actor named Christopher Heyerdahl, who I, who I like in other things, but I really like him in Hell on Wheels. And in this video from Robin Lane and the Chartbusters, the guy rowing the boat, yes, there is a guy rowing a boat in this video, he really looks like Christopher Heyerdahl. Can you get your team to investigate this for me. Okay, we did it. We investigated this for you, Jeff, and here's what we found. Cutting to the chase, no, that is not Christopher Heyerdahl. Let me tell you how we got there, and then let me tell you who it is. First of all, if you don't know who Christopher Heyerdahl is, Canadian actor, he is 58 years old currently, um, and he is most known for really being in two things that are very popular in my house, the Twilight movies, and Supernatural, the television show. All right, so I, I am familiar with Christopher Heyerdahl and who he is. You might be too. Uh, very familiar face, done a lot of character acting sort of stuff, and a lot of times in this sort of space, right? These these sorts of shows like Supernatural and Hell on Wheels and, and that sort of thing. Um, so the first thing I wanted to do was establish if it made sense at all for, for this to be him in the video. There is a very distinct nose. It's really a nose and a slope in the face uh, that Christopher Heyerdahl has in common with this guy in the video. So if he's 58, he was born in 63. This video is 81. So this puts him barely at 18 around the time of this video. And I will definitely say the guy in the video looks older than 18. So that was my first sign that it might not be him. But the easiest way to decide this, right? I mean, I can't find it anywhere in his in his bio. Uh, so that's another indicator, but you never know. So who could it be instead? So let's start trying to like, like figure that part out. So then we start to look at who is in this band, right? I, I just named the different folks in the band, but you know, I, I looked at the guy from the modern lovers. Uh, it's definitely not him. Asa, Tim, it doesn't look like them, but if you zoom in, it does in fact look like Scott Barrenwald. And doing a little research and doing a little comparison, he sort of looks like Christopher Heyerdahl, but the guy in the boat in this video is actually Scott Barrenwald. So what's the story on Scott Barrenwald? Has anything, you know, what did that guy go on to do? Um, Well, it looks like 
you know, at one point before Robin Lane and the Chartbusters, he had he had a band uh, called Ready Teddy, and Ready Teddy still has a website, ReadyTeddy.com. And it appears they still play music sometimes. Hailing from Boston, Massachusetts, this is from the website. Ready Teddy, according to Playboy Magazine's April 1977 article on the best of local bands in major cities across the U.S., quote, Ready Teddy is the most impressive Boston band, and as its recent local label album suggests, possibly the most exciting new American band, period. Um, yeah, and Scott Barinwald's the bass player in Ready Teddy, so you can actually go and read more about Ready Teddy and potentially see if they're playing anywhere. I think they have a Facebook page. Um, I it just I love it. I love that they're still hanging on to this. I also love that the Playboy quote is like all they have, so it's still uh, proudly displayed on the website. But shouts to Scott Barinwald. I'm excited to put his name back out in the universe. Check out Ready Teddy, and uh, yes, indeed, that is him in the boat in the When Things Go Wrong video by Robin Lane and the Charbusters. And there you go. I- I'm sorry it's not Christopher Heyerdahl, uh, but Jeff, thank you for writing the show. Thanks for letting us uh, give it a shot to do a little investigative journalism. I don't know how to do Robin Lane and the Charbusters, When Things Go Wrong, the 11th video played on MTV. Do you do you know what the other 10 videos were? I mean, I think a lot of people know what the first video was. That was the Buggles, Video Killed the Radio Star. Uh, and most of the other ones are artists that have endured. Um, I, you know, I think the Buggles were chosen because that song just fits so squarely for what they were after, right? Um but the other acts on the list include, let me just read down this list for you, okay? Um, you have Pat Benatar, You Better Run. Uh, then you have a Rod Stewart song, The Who. Number five is Little Susie's on the Up by PhD. Uh, now, PhD, three guys, one of them last name P, one of them H, one of them D, right? The D in PhD is, is Diamond, Jim Diamond. Uh, I only mention this because I wasn't super familiar with PhD or Jim Diamond, but Jim Diamond came up in the research around the Band-Aid. Um, do they know it's Christmas at all? Uh, <laughs> that whole fiasco we did recently. Um, because when that song came out, when the Band-Aid song released, the number one song on the UK charts at the time was a solo record by Jim Diamond because PhD wasn't around for very long and then he did some solo stuff. And that song is the it was the number one song. And so in that whole press cycle around everything going on with Band-Aid, Jim Diamond actually, to kind of get his moment, said, hey, I'm the number one song, but like, don't buy my single. Go buy the Band-Aid single and let's help people in Africa. Like That was his contribution to the cause, uh, which I thought was really funny that it came up there. And then we see that they were also, he was part of the band that was video number five. So then you go to Cliff Richard. It's another guy you don't hear much about anymore. And after that, it gets it gets more standard. The Pretenders, 
brass in pocket. I definitely think there's some Robin Lane and Chrissy Hind similarities there. Um, and then you got Todd Rundgren, Ario Speedwagon, and number 10 is Sticks. Another request we are getting from you guys, several notes this week. Uh, can you please let us in on what's going on with the OJs? Um, I don't know. Yes, yes, we can. I don't know if you've seen this crazy breaking news. We're, we're going to jump into the true crime category uh, for a moment. If you've not heard about this, major breakthroughs in a cold case in Ohio, and it's traced back to the R&B group, the OJs. Let's talk about the OJs first, and then I'll tell you about what what happened this week. They were formed in Canton, Ohio in 1958. They were going to high school together, originally known as the Mascots and then the Triumphs. Uh, They got some local success with a song they recorded in 1961. And then in 63, they decided to call themselves the OJs. And that was, uh, this is an interesting side note I didn't know. That was a tribute to a local radio disc jockey. This was back when being a radio disc jockey was cool. Uh, Eddie OJ, he was part of a uh, management team and they, they named themselves the OJs after him. Uh, and then they put out a song called Lonely Drifter, and that becomes their first national chart hit on the Billboard Hot 100. It peaks at 93, and then they put out an album, and this is all early 60s. So during this period, this very early period of the OJs, there is a guy in the band named Frank Little Jr., or Frankie as they call him, and he was a guitar player and a songwriter. Now, the guy that comes out of the OJs, if, even if you aren't really familiar with the OJs, you probably know the name Eddie Levert. Eddie Levert, this is where that all starts. And so Eddie and Frank, or Frankie, were working together and doing all the writing for the group. They write 1964's Do the Jerk. They write 1966's Pretty Words. And 1967's Oh How You Hurt Me. interesting because Frankie just sort of fades away from the band. He writes these songs. He's a pretty big part of their sound at the beginning as he helps do this. He even sings on a song or two. A lot of stuff from this period is hard to find. It's not on your normal streaming services and stuff. You have to really search for it. Um, But according to Walter Williams, Frankie, this is a quote, Frankie was a guitarist and songwriter. Uh, He came with us when we first ventured out of Cleveland and traveled to LA, but he was in love with a woman in Cleveland And he missed her so much that he soon returned back to Cleveland after a short amount of time. And that's sort of the end of the Frankie Little talk in terms of the OJs. So, of course, they have a lot more success after he leaves the band. Throughout the 1960s, they start to chart, you know, things like lipstick traces. Um, They get some TV and they grow and they grow and they grow. And, of course, you know, in the 70s is when things start to really pop for them. But until this week, Frankie was 
just this footnote in OJ's history that we wouldn't talk about, probably. If if I was going to do an OJ's episode, I probably would skip this part because it doesn't pan out. That music isn't the music that they're known for, et cetera, et cetera. But it just turns out this week that there have been some there's been some DNA testing done on some remains that were found in a garbage bag 40 years ago. 40 years ago. And this week, it was discovered and confirmed that those remains belong to Frankie Little Jr., who had that brief stint in the OJs. So, Twinsburg, Ohio, Twinsburg Police Department, announced the news Tuesday saying DNA from relatives was used to help identify these remains that were first found February 18th, 1982, Police said that not much is known about Little's disappearance and death. So he's from Cleveland. He's in the OJs. And then he is in the Army in the Vietnam War. So the partial remains were found in a garbage bag that's that was behind a business that doesn't exist anymore in Twinsburg. A worker at the business discovers a skull in the snow. This is back in 82. And the, then the police find the bag. At that time, they think the bones are old. And all they can say is, it looks like blunt force trauma. They did call it a homicide. And they were pretty sure that it was an African-American male between the ages of 20 and 35, who was 5'6". And they were also able to tell that he had had a... Uh, adolescent disease that had, had caused his spine to curve. So they had some identifying marks about him. But they couldn't figure out who he was until this DNA Doe project, which is an a effort to take people, you know, take all these remains that have never been identified and try to figure out how to how to identify them with, you know, DNA samples and such. They took this on in October, this particular uh, case. And they, you know, they went around tried to figure out who possible relatives would be, et cetera. And then they started doing the work and the sample was analyzed by the Ohio Bureau of criminal investigation crime lab. And they confirmed that they do believe it was Frankie little crazy. Uh, little was last known to be alive in the mid seventies. If you want to get involved in the show, remember you can email us. We are the story guys at gmail.com. And uh, thank you for uh, hanging out for another bonus episode. Happy holidays. We will talk to you soon. And until next time, keep telling stories.